Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church Podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. Well, uh, a book that I I read um, that was kind of fascinating was called Never Split the Difference. And it was written by an FBI guy who was basically the head hostage negotiator for the FBI. And so one of the things he talks about in this book is when you're in a negotiation, specifically a hostage negotiation, but any negotiation, if people are emotionally charged, they are unable to make a rational decision. But what they found is that um, psychologists would show that if someone labels an emotion, something in their brain switches from, from irrational thinking to the ability to think rationally. And so one of his tricks of his trade was when they talked to someone, he would try to get them to label what motion they were experiencing. So it, it seems like you're frustrated. It sounds like you're angry. Um, you know, so it seems like, it sounds like, it feels like. And if someone will say, I am angry, I am frustrated, I am scared, if they will just label their emotion, whether they realize it or not, their brain switches and now has the ability to think rationally. And so if you're gonna get something done at the table, you've gotta have them in the right frame of mind. So one of the first steps in negotiation is getting people to understand where they are emotionally. Well, I mentioned that because emotions can quickly change. They're real, they affect us, they're they're deeply felt, but they also can change fairly quickly. And so happiness is an emotion that really hinges on external circumstances. So if things are going well in life, if things are good, it's easy to feel happy. But if, if circumstances change and times get tough, that happiness can quickly disappear. Well, the gift of Christmas, one of the things that Jesus gifts us is joy, but joy is deeper than happiness. It it doesn't hinge on external circumstances because it's something that we find internally. And so today I want us to look at how Christmas brings us joy despite external circumstances, specifically looking at the life of Mary. So let's pick up in verse 26 of Luke chapter one. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And so the first thing we see is this location of the angelic announcement. If we're drawing this up on our whiteboards, if we're planning this out, the angelic announcement of the birth of the Messiah would most likely happen at the temple in the the cultural center of the Israelite faith. But instead, this announcement happens in an obscure, small Galilean village, which shows us that God often works in ways that we wouldn't expect. And then in these verses, we get to meet Mary and Joseph, and we discover that they're engaged and that she's a virgin. So they're betrothed, they're engaged, she's, she's a virgin, and that's going to have some significance here in a moment. But I want you to think about the circumstances that Mary and Joseph are facing, the circumstances that tend to affect our emotions. Say, um, so real quick, Mary, they would say, could have been as young as 12 years old. They're young, they're babies, right? We know that when they go and make a sacrifice at the temple, they're making the poor man's sacrifice. So they're poor. Um, They are in a small town, Nazareth, which means if you've ever grown up in a small town, the gossip can spread 
rapidly. And so they know that they're going to be talked about. People are gonna talk about how they're engaged, they're not married yet, but she's carrying a basketball around in her belly. Like what happened there? A little scandalous. They know that people are going to talk about them. And all four gospels, like we never have mention of Mary's parents. So most likely her parents aren't even in the picture if they're still around. And so all of these things are their circumstances. If that was you, how would you feel? If you were in Mary and Joseph's shoes, how would you feel? Would you be anxious? Would you be scared? Would you be worried? All those are completely reasonable feelings to have in light of the circumstances. But look at verse 28. It says, and he came to her, this is the angel. He came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. She take note of that word favored, right? Favored means to be the object of God's grace. And so what we're seeing here is he says, you are favored. You are the object of God's grace. You're experiencing this grace because of the reality of God's presence. So the way that we experience that favor is through the presence of the Lord. So he says, you are the object of God's grace. You're able to experience that grace because of God's presence. Then verse 49 says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Greatly troubled. So um, my family and I, we're reading through Luke one chapter at a time every night this December, right? And so one of the things that I've been doing with my kids as in the middle of reading to keep them engaged, if it labels an emotion like troubled, scared, fearful, I will say, all right, Mary was greatly troubled. Show me greatly troubled. And all three of my kids will show me their best greatly troubled expression, right? They're all different, but they're all great. And I'm like, these are good actors, okay? Trouble for us later. But I'm like, what does greatly troubled look like? What you think about it? So here is Mary, greatly troubled, which I would say is most likely an understatement when an angel shows up and begins to talk to you. But she's greatly troubled, even though the angel said that she's the object of God's grace. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You are, you are an object of God's grace. I think this is so important for us to understand. Um, when you think about the circumstances that surround your life, right, the way that you will see yourself the way that others might see you doesn't always align with the way that God sees you. You might see yourself and think, I'm a failure. I'm the worst dad, I'm the worst mom, I'm the worst employee, I'm the worst son, the worst daughter. You might see yourself and look at your circumstances and feel like you're failing or feel like you're a horrible person. Um, you might have other people looking at you and be like, that person's a this, that, and the other, and the world views you, but when God sees you, when God sees you, if your faith is in Christ because of his grace aimed at you, God sees you differently, right? So the way that you see yourself and the way that the world sees you that typically hinges on the circumstances that surround you, those don't always align with the way that God sees you. So it's almost as if the angel is telling Mary in this moment, God sees you different than the people in your hometown, he loves you, not because of what you bring to the table, but simply because you're his daughter. Then he continues in verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom, there will be no end. So the angel basically shows up and says, look, you know all those Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah, the savior of the world? That's gonna be your son. And, and something interesting here is notice that Mary and Joseph don't get to name Jesus. There's something significant about that because when you name someone in this culture, in this patriarchal culture, it's almost a way of showing how you have authority over your child. And the fact that they don't get to name him, but the angel says his name will be Jesus is a way of showing us that even though he is their son, at the end of the day, they don't have authority over him because he's the ultimate king. He's the ultimate one. He's God in the flesh. And so they don't get to name him. His name will be Jesus. All right, so, so when we look at this unique announcement, this announcement of a unique birth and a unique child, what does it mean for us? Well, Luke doesn't come out and say it like Matthew does. He doesn't come right out and say it, but he alludes to it. In this virgin birth, he's tying back to a prophecy from Isaiah 7, 14, where the prophet Isaiah says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that name Emmanuel means God with us. And so when the angel tells Mary that she is favored, when he tells her not to be afraid, one of the things that he reminds her of is that the Lord is with her. He reminds her of the truth of Emmanuel. And so Mary's response to this knowledge that God is with her is ultimately joy. If you continue reading the chapter, you'll see Mary's song. and She talks about how her soul magnifies the Lord and her spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So despite her circumstances, small town, poor, center of gossip, parents might not be around, despite all of those things that give her cause to worry, to be anxious, to be scared, to be sad, and a number of other things, she's able to respond with joy because of Emmanuel, because of knowing God's presence. So the question I want us to wrestle with today or that I want us to think through today is how can we experience the gift of joy this Christmas? How can we experience joy this Christmas? Because I don't know what your circumstances hold right now, but I know there are things happening in all of our lives that can, that can take our happiness away. But is there a way for us to experience joy? All right, well, when we think about that, the experience of the presence of Christ or knowing Jesus as Emmanuel is the center of our joy. But I wonder how many of us would say, when we think about like Jesus's presence being the center of our joy, how many of us would say, I just don't really feel that present with Christ right now. Like, I don't, I don't know if I feel like God is there. I don't know if I feel really near to Jesus. If, if I was to ask you, how, like, when's the last time you just felt really close to Jesus? I think a lot of people would go, ah, it's been a while. It's been a minute. Like, when's the last time? So if, if you think about that, if, if joy is the result of experiencing the nearness of Christ, are you experiencing the nearness of Christ in life right now? And chances are, you might say, not really. It's been a while, all right? And so to understand how to experience the nearness of Christ, I wanna explain two things, and then I wanna give you um, another two sets of two, all right? So we got six things coming up, and then we're done, all right? So the first thing is it's important to understand the difference between union with Christ and communion with Christ, 
So as you read through the New Testament, you'll see this phrase about being in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, all throughout the New Testament. That is this concept of our union with him. Union with Christ is an objective reality. Right? It's, it's concrete. It means that you are forever and always loved and accepted, that you have nothing to prove, nothing to earn, not because of anything that you've done, but because of what Jesus has done on your behalf, that he lived the life you couldn't live. He died the death that you deserved. He rose victoriously from the grave. And if you are in Christ, nothing can separate you from the love of God, right? That is union with Christ. It does not change. It is a concrete reality, objective truth. Okay, now communion is our subjective experience of that objective reality. So communion is the way that we experience what is true. And so where our union with Christ cannot grow or shrink, our communion tends to waver, tends to, to vacillate. It tends to, to, to decrease and then sometimes increase. And so if you're in a position today going like, I just don't feel like I've really experienced the nearness of Christ in a while. Well, I wanna show you two things that I've been wrestling with for the last, I'd say since June, all right? Two things that I've been wrestling with since June that I believe decrease our experience of Christ. And I wanna give you two things that I know with certainty will help increase your experience of Christ. Okay, so two things that decrease your experience of Christ's presence. And if you're not experiencing Christ's presence, you're not gonna feel joy, right? So this is the kind of the solution. If you wanna have more joy this Christmas, I want you to think about this. Two things that tend to decrease our experience of the nearness of Christ. One is unconfessed sin. All right, one of the things that will decrease our ability to experience the nearness of Christ is unconfessed sin. Um, we went through the book of Acts this last year and something that really stood out to me was in chapter three. So I just, I just wanna read a couple of verses from chapter three. Um, Luke, the author says, and now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Then in verse 19, he says this, and let's just take note of a couple words. Repent, let's just take, take note of that word, repent. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Okay, so there's something tied to our repentance, which is actively turning away from our sin and turning towards Christ that results in our experiencing times of refreshment which comes from what? The presence of the Lord. So if you wanna experience more of the presence of the Lord, there's something to actively and continually confessing sin and turning from it and turning towards Jesus. So if you feel distant from God, maybe it's been a while since you've taken time to say, okay, God, is there any unconfessed sin in my life? Is there anything that I need to confess before others? And I, like sometimes people will say like, Jeff, you've said that all of our sin, past present and future has been blotted out, that, that it, is, it is fully and forever forgiven at the cross when Jesus says to tell us that it is finished, that it's done with. So if I'm already forgiven, then why should I keep praying for forgiveness? And so take time and say, is there any unconfessed sin that's making me see Jesus as small when he wants me to see him as great? So I think unconfessed sin is one thing here that seems to be tied to our experiencing times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord Acts 3.20. Another thing that I've been wrestling with is unforgiveness. 
I believe that unforgiveness is another thing that keeps us from experiencing the presence of the Lord. Listen to Ephesians um, chapter four. Chapter four, starting verse 29, he says, Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as it is good for building up as fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So it says here, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That means to suppress the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. Right? So when you grieve the Holy Spirit, you are suppressing the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. So it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So verse 32, when it talks about forgiveness, I believe that there's a connection between unforgiveness and the suppressing or the grieving of the Holy Spirit. And so is there someone that you're holding a grudge against right now that you're like, you know what, I just can't forgive them because of what they've done. That holding on to that grudge very well could be grieving the Holy Spirit or suppressing the Holy Spirit in your life and keeping you from experiencing the joy that Christ wants you to give. So we could go on and on, but there's just two things to consider, two things that I've personally been wrestling with. But let me give you two other things that will help increase the joy of Christ, right? So those are two things that could be decreasing it, but what are two things that could increase it, right? Two things that increase your experience of your union with Christ that help you to grow in communion are this, love God and love others. Love God and love others, as we grow in our love for God and as we grow in our love for others, it will have the effect of increasing our experience of the presence of Christ in our lives. But I, I get that for some people that sounds really ambiguous. You're like, what, how do I do that? Like, love God. Like, do I just kind of like channel emotions up and try to love him more? Like, what can I do to love God? Well, think about this. Let's say that, so Lucy and I are married and um, let's say that I just, I get so busy with work that I start kind of ignoring our marriage relationship. Like I, I, I'm getting up and I'm going to work before she's up and at him. Then I get home and once I'm home, I'm still kind of on my phone, fielding text messages, doing emails. And I'm kind of doing that even when we're hanging out at night, sitting on the couch. I'm just always in work. The union of our marriage is not affected by that. We're still married. But is that an environment for our marriage to flourish? No, right? And so our union with Christ doesn't change, but the environments that we have that enable it to flourish can change. And so two ways that you, can, that you can create an environment for your relationship with Christ to flourish are one, um, think about this, meditate on the word of God. I love, I love what the psalmist says. In Psalm chapter one, verses one and two, it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. In the same way that I wanna spend time with Lucy to get to know her and know who she is, not who I necessarily just want her to be, but who she truly is, it comes from getting to know her. And so in the same way, God has revealed himself to us through his word so we can know him. Will we ever know everything about him? No, he's the infinite and we're the finite, but there are things that he wants us to know about him, which he shows us in his words, we wanna meditate. Another thing is we wanna spend time in prayer. Every time we pray, it's a way of remembering that God is with us. 
So I love the model of Jesus. As we're looking through the book of Luke, you see often Jesus withdraws to pray. And so prayer, and so as we spend time meditating on the law of God and spend time in prayer, talking to our heavenly father, naturally we will grow in our relationship with him and know him more. But I'd be, I'd be doing you a disservice if I didn't take this a step further. Another way to grow in loving God is found in John chapter, 5, chapter 14. John chapter 14. I just want you to listen to a few of these verses and let them sink in. All right, John chapter 14. In verse 15, Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In verse 21, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Then in verse 23, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Three times in a few verses, Jesus talks about keeping his word or walking in obedience. So I think obedience gets a bad rap um, in the grace-filled church a lot of times. Like we can, we can proclaim grace so much that we almost do it at the expense of obedience. Don't think of your obedience to Christ as being a list of do's and don'ts that affect the way that God feels towards you. See obedience as stepping towards Jesus. So if Jesus is here at the center of the, 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 your life, the more you step towards him in obedience, the closer you'll be to him. And the closer you are to him, the more you will experience his presence. And so think through what's the next step of obedience that God is calling you to. So those are some ways that we can grow in our love for God through meditating on his word, through spending time in prayer and through walking lives of obedience that are stepping towards Jesus. So that'll help us to love God. So we wanna love God. And the second thing is we wanna love others. We want to love others. As you read through like the gospel of Matthew and you get to chapter 25, or you read James chapter one and and throughout all of the Old Testament as well, you'll see that there is a close connection. There is a close connection to the way that we serve widows and orphans and the poor to the way that we love Jesus. And so we wanna love others because when God's love in us flows through us to others, it tends to help us experience more of who Jesus is as well. So we wanna, we wanna love others. So, so here's how I wanna bring this home. This Christmas, if you want to experience joy that comes from the presence of Christ, I wanna t- let's just wrap up with those four things and recap them real quick. If you wanna want experience joy this Christmas, take time to examine your heart and see if there's any unconfessed sin. Take time to examine your heart and remember Jesus came, he stepped into history to take away your sin. Two, consider if there's a relationship that needs to be forgiven. Like consider like Jesus came to take away your sins and to forgive you. Is there someone that you need to forgive? Three, take time to to spend time with God through his word and through prayer. And four, take time to serve others. Take time this Christmas season, not to only focus on yourself and your family, but to look externally, to look outward and serve others. And I believe if you're doing those things, you're setting yourself up, you're creating an environment that should allow the joy that Christ brings from his presence to grow in your life. God, thank you so much for the joy that Jesus gives. 
We wanna be a people who truly enjoy Christ. Um, that, that our relationship with you is something that um, refreshes our souls. That our relationship with you is something that, that flows through us to those that we're around. Whether it's our family, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, our, our community. God, we, we wanna be people who, who aren't quickly changed by circumstances but that are deeply rooted in your grace and your love in such a way that even when times are tough, we, we still come across as people who have joy because we know you and we experience you. So God, this Christmas, help us to know what it means to call you Emmanuel. Help us to know what it means to live lives where we know with certainty that God is with us. That's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.